Good morning. Please turn to James chapter 3. It's good to be back. I, I really was upset that I had to leave the 105 degree weather for 75 degrees every day, but... It was a good time. Thank you for those of you who prayed. The, the memorial services for my granddad went really well. And, um, you could tell that God was involved. <clears throat> Let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these that you've um, called out of darkness into light. Father, we pray that we would walk in a worthy manner that would display the fact that we've been called out of darkness and into light. And we pray that you'd help us as we look to our text today, that it would be, um, as we read your words, Lord, that it would be a light to us, that it would lead to our um, practicing our faith and showing our faith. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last time we discussed verses 1 through 12. James returned to a topic from chapter 1. If you remember, from chapter 1 he said, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. So his point is, your tongue should be controlled if you claim to be religious. And if it's not, then your religion's not working. And if it's not working, then it means you're not saved. It's worthless. And he talked about teachers. If you want to be a teacher, are you able to control your speech? Both theologically and in dealing with your fellow man. And you remember Jesus' words? He, Jesus called the people to himself and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Matthew fifteen ten. In response to people saying, Hey, you're eating without washing your hands first. You're going to be unclean. Suggesting that the outside would make the inside unclean. Jesus says, no, you've got it backwards. It's what comes from the inside that comes out, and that defiles the person. And remember there was a discussion of sparks, a small spark that can cause a giant forest fire, or a small rudder in comparison with a massive ship. I mean, my mind goes to ancient for us, you know, 1600s, 1700 big ships with rudders. But if you think more modern, these cruise ships, they are massive. I mean, they, they make the biggest ships from antiquity look like, I mean, a, a pontoon boat. They are enormous, and they're still turned by a very small rudder in comparison. And James' point is, big things can be controlled by small things. Bits for horses, 
rudders for ships. If the tongue can be controlled, then the whole person will be directed well. That's James's point. But the tongue can cause and does cause lots of problems. Even giant fires of problems. Humans tame, James said, we can tame anything. Even a whale, we can make it bounce a ball for us and jump through a ring. But not the tongue. It's evil. It kills. It destroys, James said. And then he talked about the hypocrisy, even, of Christians who will praise God in one setting and using the same mouth and same tongue, but out comes cursing and bitterness to others. He says, how can this be possible? How can you use one thing to praise God and then use it to sin? That's hypocrisy. Don't do it. But, you know, he he says, if anyone is able to control their tongue, that person is a perfect person. And his point is, it's impossible. It's very difficult. But we should still try. Because our words can be very dangerous. It can cause catastrophic damage to relationships, to the church. Indeed, it is causing damage in the world every day, is it not? Do you see how what we call cancel culture? And we can agree that some of these people who've been fired for stuff they put is just dumb. It's an overreaction. Let people have their opinion, even if it's a stupid opinion. But having said that, people's statements, people's reckless words come back on them all the time and hurt and injure many people. Why is this? Because it's a small thing, but it can cause a big fire. And how many churches are divided amongst each other because of words that were spoken hastily? How many? Are all church problems caused by this? I would say most of them. 99.999% is because somebody's saying something they shouldn't say. So James says, don't be double-tongued. Don't be a hypocrite. Use your words to bless and leave out the sinful side. Can you do that? By God's grace, but otherwise, no. So let's pray without ceasing. Oh Lord, protect us from words that are going to hurt and tear down instead of building up. All right, well, let's read today's text. It'll be verse 13 of chapter 3 until verse 12 of chapter 4. Let me remind you, these chapter divisions are not inspired by God. They're added in somewhat orderly, but listen, the best way to think about these is it's it's the same letter, it goes right from verse 12 to verse 13 in the, in the actual letter with no verses either. So he's just finished verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. His point is the hypocrisy of the tongue. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? 
by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you, don't, you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, well, there's a lot there. Are you wise, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Are you wise? Do you have deep understanding? It sounds very similar to the final verse in the book Hosea, which I might exposit sometime soon. Hosea 14.9, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of Jehovah are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. This sounds very similar to what James is saying. Are you wise? Do you have understanding? Come forward. Let's look at your work. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Do you serve and work in humility? This is true wisdom. Real understanding. Can't, here's the question. This, James has been saying this the whole time. Can godly wisdom be demonstrated? If I say, is she, does she have godly wisdom? Is there a way you can know whether she does or not? Can you see it? 
Let me ask you another question, and then you'll have your answer to that question. Can foolishness be demonstrated? We see it all the time, right? Sometimes in ourselves, and we're embarrassed by our foolishness. But we also see it in others. And we may not always say it out loud, but inside we say, that man is a fool. I say he's a fool because look how foolish he acts. I can see it. Everyone can see it. The Bible says that person blows are intended for the backs of fools. So, can true wisdom be demonstrated? Can godly wisdom be demonstrated? And the answer is yes, of course it can. Of course it can. James says, are you wise? Do you have understanding, real understanding about God? Then come forward and let's see it. Let's see how you work in the meekness of wisdom. And we'll know. The works will speak for your understanding of God and your wisdom. Verse 14, but... So he's saying, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, do not boast and be false to the truth. If you are demonstrating bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not lie against the truth and boast that you have understanding of God Almighty. Because you don't. Do not boast and be false to the truth. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. You see there, he's saying that if there's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, then we know that's not the wisdom that's from above. You're saying you have wisdom and understanding about who God is and what he wants. But your demonstration is that you don't understand it. You're lying. Don't be false to the truth. It's not from above. This is demonstration of the natural man, the unspiritual woman, those who are under demonic influence. Now listen, I know people, it's sort of a joke that the devil made me do it. And often people want to blame things on the devil. And definitely he is at work and is a ceaseless evil. But sometimes we have plenty in our hearts to do it without him or his helpers. But having said that, all sin can be called demonic. It's all deception. It's all intended to suppress the truth, to deny God who is God. This is not wisdom from above. It's earthly. You see the image? Godly wisdom is coming down from above, from him. He said, your wisdom is not coming down. It's been here. It's normal. It's unspiritual and demonic. Verse 16, where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. 
We don't know exactly what James is combating in the church. Some think that this whole section is about leaders and that he's talking to leaders who are quarreling amongst each other or people who want to be leaders, but their actions say, no, don't ordain him. The hate, he does not have godly wisdom. I tend to think he's talking to the church in general. It could be those. I mean, it definitely wouldn't commend you for leadership if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, right? Verse 17. It's very similar to Brother Edward's message from this morning, actually. Verse 17. The wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's what wisdom from above does. That's how it's demonstrated that person has wisdom from above. It's peaceable and gentle. Peaceable and gentle. Listen, some of us have hot-natured personalities. I think that God makes us in different ways. And that sometimes people who have a hot nature, that actually is, works well for the gospel because they're passionate to preach it. But it can also be bad, right? The, the wisdom from above is peaceable, gentle. We tend to sometimes when we hear a preacher preach and they're too soft and too gentle and we feel like there's no power. I want, I want something. I need some more. But really, Christians, the thing that should characterize them is meekness, gentleness, peaceableness, open to reason. Have you ever had an argument or a debate with somebody who's not open to reason? It's very frustrating. Very frustrating. Like, why are we even talking? You are not open to reason. And they probably think the same about me. James says, when peace is not present, what will be present is chaos. Chaos. Verse 16, the end. There, where, well, where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Because there's, there's not real wisdom from above. There's not real understanding of who God is, like we discussed this morning. Do you really know that everything has been given to Jesus for him and to him are all things. Therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That person understands who God is. They have real understanding, both who God is and who they are comparatively. And what do they do? They serve in humility, knowing they're, they're just grass here today and gone and yet somehow God in his mercy saved them. This is the right attitude. This demonstrates wisdom from above. But when that's not there, that's not what happens. Disorder is what happens. Every vile practice. 
It seems like John, uh, James is trying to calm down some arguments. And I'll say within the visible church. I don't know if you are familiar with that term. There's the invisible church and the visible church. And people use this to mean various things that are unsound. But the way I'm using it is to mean what Jesus says. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, knows me for real. Right? There are some who are in the church, but they don't know me for real. I would call everyone who attends church and is a part of regular church attendance, that's the visible, that in one definition, that's the visible church. And the invisible church is the ones that are actually born again throughout the entire earth. So the reason why I said that is because it seems like he's speaking to a community, but he has some very strong words for some of them, like, you're probably not saved. So I don't want to call it the church, the actual church, I'll say the visible church, those who are in and around the community, in and around. If you have wisdom that's earthly and unspiritual and demonic, then disorder and every vile practice is what you should expect. But real wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial. Remember he talked about partiality before? He's bringing it up again. Real, godly understanding, you should be impartial and sincere. Verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now this is interesting. Peacemakers. Jesus has some very good words for peacemakers, doesn't he? James says, actually, peacemakers are reaping a harvest. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peacemakers are blessed by God. Peacemakers have wisdom from above. Peacemakers have real understanding of God. Don't they? Peacemakers will be called children of God, we are told in Matthew chapter 5. Are you a peacemaker? Do you stir up dissension? Do you agitate the situation? Some people say, let me be the devil's advocate. He doesn't need an advocate. Be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Some discussions, you know, when I was younger, people would say, never talk about, older people would say, don't talk about religion and politics. And I used to think, they're just soft. They don't want to discuss the real issues. But now, actually, I probably agree in mixed settings where there's actually not a time to actually discuss these things. If you want to maintain peace and just enjoy your family for the few moments that you have with them, might be best. But maybe I'm getting soft too. <laughs> verse four, oh, sorry, verse one of chapter four. We see here that you know up until now we haven't known exactly what's going on, but now we know there's fighting and quarreling going on, right? 
What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? There seems to be some problems in the community. And that's why James is talking about peacemakers. You know what we need in this situation? We need peacemakers. You'll reap a harvest of righteousness. The desires within the troublemakers are stirring up quarrels and fights. James asked the question, what is the reason? Why are you quarreling and fighting? Verse 2, he says, well, verse 1, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you did not ask. In a way, when I read this, it sounds sort of like Buddhism. Barely, but hear me out here. Buddhism, one of Buddhism's main tenets is the problem is desire, and it leads to suffering. Whatever it is that you want, ultimately you won't get it, and it'll lead to suffering And suffering is bad. We can agree, right? But the problem is the solution that they offer is not a good solution. The solution is free your mind of desire. Just don't desire anything and it won't lead to suffering. Just be at peace. Give away everything. Don't just, just... If that were possible... I mean, apart from Christ, right, there's going to be no real peace. But just just thinking about Buddhism, it's not possible. What kind of life would you lead with no desire for good? Right? Some of our desires are good. We want to have children. We, We have them and enjoy them and praise God for them, right? They are an heritage of the Lord. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Freeing our minds of desire is not the answer. The the answer is our desires need to be cleansed by the Holy Spirit of God. That's the answer. God needs to work in us and does. So that we don't do the things that we would want to do in our flesh. Verse 2, you see the problem here is Desire and envy. You want to have it, you can't get it, so you fight and quarrel about it. I mean, we see this all the time with children, right? My toy, my toy, my toy. And before long, you're having to separate the little kids like, hey, you've been playing with it for two minutes, let her play with it now. What's the big deal? It seems so simple to us, except we still fight and quarrel sometimes too. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly. Seems to be from an unrighteous desire, coveting and jealousy and wanting a certain thing and you ask for it and God's like, I'm not giving it to you. This is wrong. You shouldn't even be asking me this. Like a good father, right? All of us have told, who are parents, have told your children, no, no, Because we know it's a bad idea. 
You And then verse 3 says, And you ask, but you do not receive, because you ask wrongly, to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. This is interesting. Why is he calling them adulterous? Why are they adulterers? I thought we were talking about quarrels and fights. Why is he saying, you adulterous people? I think what he's shooting for is the way God referred to Israel of old as adulterers, unfaithful, always playing the harlot. I think he's saying, you are rejecting your husband who is God. You adulterous people. Why won't you obey his word? You don't have understanding from God. You don't have godly wisdom. You have earthly wisdom, which is no good. Don't be ungodly like this. Don't be like the world. Don't show partiality. That's what the world does. Don't speak bad about other people and slander them. That's what the world does. Bitter, envy, selfish ambition, that's the way the world behaves. Not the way that people who've been regenerated by the power of God Almighty. Verse 5, Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Spirit says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? I think he's getting at, do not provoke God to jealousy. It's a bad thing, right? You shall have no gods before me. I'm a jealous God. I want all the worship. Not 99%, not 50%. I want all of it. And, and he is completely right to do so. He is the only one who should get it ever. Any other attempt, any other praise and worship that's lavished anywhere else is incorrectly attributed. It needs to be given to him and him alone. He's jealous in a good way. James says, do you think that it was no purpose for God to write that, that he's jealous? Are you really going to meddle with the world and worldly wisdom and desires that are contrary to the will of God? Or do you really want to provoke him? He's your husband. You should be faithful to him. He bought you, like we talked about this morning. You are his. Do you really want to make him angry? Verse 6, James knows no one is perfect in faithfulness to God. No one except Jesus alone. He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God's grace, do you hear what the word of God said? God's grace comes to the humble and the gentle. God opposes the proud. He's actively in opposition to their plans. Their pride is not consistent with understanding of who God is. Nebuchadnezzar was prideful before God. 
And God humbled him. And then Nebuchadnezzar, in his own mind, said, Yep, now I understand. I am nothing. You are almighty God. I understand now. I didn't, but now I do. And this happens every day throughout the world. But the prideful, God opposes them. Jesus addressed this when the Pharisees said, we're not sinners. We're Jews. We're we're God's people. We're God's people. God opposes the proud. Verse 7, what's the solution to all this? We have desires, we fuss and fight, we quarrel. I mean, hopefully these are not defining who we are as Christians, but we can definitely identify. Verse 7, the solution is, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. He gives grace to the humble. Do you see the connection between humility and submission? Submit yourselves to God. We have the same therefore. Submit yourselves therefore to God. What do you mean therefore? Because he opposes the proud. Will you remain obstinate in your stubbornness? Submit. And resist the devil. So what's the solution? Submission to God and resistance to the devil. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. I think about this like online scammers or telephone scammers. If you just don't play along, they're going to hang up. They want to move on to somebody that's going to be fruitful. They're not going to waste time forever. They want easy fruit. The devil, contrary to some people's opinions, is not the exact evil opposite of God. God is almighty. There is no equal. And he cannot be in every place at every time. Resist him. He will flee and move on somewhere else. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Double down on your commitment to follow the wisdom that's from above. God will be close to you. In fact, we know this to be true. He's not far. We are told this in the scripture. God is not far from us. We're far from him. He's not far. How could he be far? Where could we go where we'd be far away? We read in the scriptures, if I go on the morning wind and go to the farthest places away, you're already there. Even before I get there, you're already there. In fact, during the whole journey, you're there. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, 
you double-minded. This is actually ritual cleansing that he's discussing. A very similar concept to the sacrifice that we talked about before. Are you a minister to God? Well, purify yourselves in a ritual way. Not actually in a ritual way, but in your thinking, in your faith. Cleanse yourselves. Purify your hearts. Verse 9, this is not a laughing matter. It's not a trivial matter. James says, be wretched and mourn and weep over the fact that there's all this quarreling and fighting and talking bad about people and partiality favoring the rich over the poor. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I do think that sometimes Reformed Baptists and people who believe similarly to us, we do sort of gloom around too much. At least our outward display of our faith. It can be. I mean, do we have joy in the Lord or not? The answer is yes, we do. Overflowing joy. The gloom that we have is because of the remaining wretchedness in us. Not him, in us. And sometimes it's a good thing. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So the wisdom from above which we read about, is gentle, meek, humble, peaceable, open to reason. If you submit yourself unto God and you resist the devil, that's humility. You are saying, God, you're right, I'm wrong. What you tell me to resist, I will. I will try at least. But humility is the key. This is the wisdom that's from above. It's it's understanding who God is, like I said before, and who we are in comparison. And then finally, um, there's... This is an interesting way that he speaks about this. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. So he's saying, I think this is not super straightforward, but in a way he's saying, When you do what the law says not to do, in a way you're judging that the law is wrong. If if God says, don't slander your neighbor. If you look through Leviticus, there's a whole section about um, sin of words, basically. If you do the thing that God says not to do in his law, then what you're really doing is you're judging the law and saying, I don't agree with it. It's wrong. 
The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. And he's like, and then if you're going to judge the law, well, then you're not, you're not a doer of the law. You're, you're putting yourself as judge. In verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge, and it's not you. He who is able to save and to destroy, that is who the lawgiver and judge is. You're not in a position to judge God's commands. And you're not in a position to bring God into judgment. And humans try to do this every day throughout the earth. You tell them some truth from the scriptures and they'll say, that's not the God I serve. Okay, well, then you need to reflect on that. Because it is how he reveals himself to us. And if that's not a God you want to serve, well, then you need to think about it. Because you either need to put your hand to the plow and go, or you need to not go. But don't start and then look back. Go, what? God's like that? Oh, I didn't know. It's very foolish, right? This is why the scripture tells us, count the cost before you come. Know what this is about to mean. Don't speak against the law and make it seem like the law is wrong by your evil actions. The law is right. And don't make yourself into a judge. You're not a judge. You're going to be judged. Well, next time we'll talk about boasting about tomorrow. She actually fits right along with everything that's been going on. Let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, this, the explanation and your, from your apostles. We pray that you would help us, Lord, that we would truly have wisdom from above, that we would have understanding of God. And it would be demonstrated in our actions. That we would be peaceable and humble people. Meek. That we wouldn't talk bad about each other. That we wouldn't say things hastily and hurt. Or fight and quarrel because we feel like we're supposed to get something that we didn't get. Oh Lord, help us to humble ourselves. Help us to be servants, to have the attitude of servants. And Father, we pray for those who are still in this bad place with bitter jealousy and envy and fighting and quarreling. Father, we pray that you would be merciful to them, that you'd open up their understanding, that you would soften their hard hearts. Be with us this next week, Lord. We thank you that we can be here. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.